0: seconds he's gonna throw it Howard leads he has it touchdown Carolina back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go snap back spot down the kick is cleanly away it is good and it's power with a 54 yard field goal and how about them Tar Heels they do it Here's Kupak. Give it up to Amos. He's, he's good! good, he's, good. good. He's, he's good! He's good! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again!
1: Picked up! It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker! He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14-13. to 13. Mr. Jordan, meet Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side, Gio at the 35, Gio, he's at the 50, no he's not, yes he is, Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown, are you
0: kidding me? This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Alright guys, welcome in uh, to the close to the Tar Heel season preview podcast on the Heel Tough blog. I am Anthony Pegnot. Of course, you heard me at the start. Now you're going to hear me at the end as me and my co-host, my normal co-host, Zach Hubbard. We are going to close out the Tar Heel preview podcast for you. Um, so Zach, yeah, welcome back in, bud.
1: Glad to be here. Glad to be talking some Carolina football and glad that it's almost time for the UNC season
0: to begin. That's right, man. We have been waiting so long. It seems like it's the longest offseason ever, but it's finally over and we are finally able to talk about some guys that are actually playing football that matters. So, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, one of the things I know that you want to do and we'll we'll do a little bit of it here. You want to go kind of position by position and kind of preview what we've got going into the season and I think that's great. That's something we've got to do to get people, you know, some information on what's going to happen because you know, as you know, reading maybe my my blog, it I previewed every every guy, and at the time we didn't know exactly who was suspended. Now we do. We also know a little bit about injuries, so we'll just jump right into it, and we'll start with the most important position on the team, the quarterback unit. Nathan Elliott's going to be our starter after Chad Surratt was suspended. Um, after that, it, it's a little bit head scratching at the moment. The the official depth chart has not been released to this point, but uh, as I was told earlier tonight by Chapel Fowler, that's probably not something we should be overly concerned about. So, um, you know, going into the season, you know, you look at the quarterback position. First, just start by telling me, you know, a little bit about your confidence in Nathan Elliott going into the season, and then. Um, You know, kind of what you see for the first four games at that backup position. Who do you think is going to be that backup quarterback, potentially, if needed?
1: Uh, Well, to start out with Nathan Elliott, Nathan Elliott is a guy that we saw come in late last year after kind of the carousel of Brandon Harris and Chassarad. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was a guy that may not have lit up the stat sheet with numbers that you may like to see. I mean, he had a completion percentage, about 51%. He had uh, quite a few interceptions, but he was a guy that really inspired the team. He was a guy that played confidently and seemed like he knew what he was doing. And I think his key strength this season is the team around him. I mean, every position on this team, every position group will most likely be better than it was last year. So that that's one of the key strengths that he has. And he's a guy that, if you look at him individually, I, I, I do think he's a bit underrated by some of the Tar Heel fan base. Um, he may not have the, the athleticism of, of Chassarat, uh, but he's a guy that can, that can pass and throw fairly well. He can move the ball, and uh, he's a guy that I don't think is going to take a whole bunch of risk or kind of gets scared under pressure. I think he's a guy that knows the system, and I think he's someone that can be trusted to run this offense. So I think that there is maybe not uh, the level of confidence that you would see with a Marquise Williams or a Mitch Trubisky, but there mm-hmm. there should definitely be uh, – there, there's no need for panic quite yet. It, it, I would say that it's in a little bit of a wait and see, but I definitely think that Targo fans should be optimistic about Nathan Elliott going into this 2018 season. In terms of a backup, it's kind of up in the air in terms of who it's going to be. Right. I mean, kind of from my sources, it's kind of a three-way battle between yep. um, senior walk-on Manny Miles and the true freshman, uh, Jace Reuter and Cade Fortin. From what I've heard, Jace Reuter and Cade Fortin have really kind of been working through their freshman season. Both were early enrollees. And both have kind of evened themselves out in terms of their standing with the team. But then you also have a guy like Nanny Miles that's been here for five years, absolutely knows the system, absolutely has, in my opinion, a little bit of underrated ability as a quarterback that just hasn't been pulled on yet. So I do think that you're probably going to see one of those three guys play a couple snaps here and there in some games, either if Nathan's helmet comes off or something along those lines. There's a chance that you could see –
0: I, I would dare say that you will see one of those freshmen play against um, ECU with that new redshirt rule. So mm-hmm. I think it,
1: it's a little bit of a fluid situation uh, for the second string quarterback, but that's not really something that should be seen as a dire issue in these first four games.
0: Totally agree. Uh, you know, Nathan Elliott, I think there has to be some confidence there with the way he performed late in the season last year. I thought he showed that ability, that gunslinger mentality that I think everybody likes, where, you know, ne- he he might not necessarily be the greatest guy mechanics-wise, like you mentioned with Mitch Trubisky or Marquise Williams, who, I mean, Marquise wasn't the greatest mechanical passer either, but... Um, you know, I, I just have a feeling that Nathan Elliott is a guy that really is, is is just a leader. People really like to follow him. And, you know, with what he did last year, I mean, he came in and in the four games, yeah, he threw more interceptions than Chaz Surratt, but he also threw more touchdowns than Chaz Surratt as well. So, you know, that's something to keep an eye on going in. And I think there is some confidence around Nathan Elliott from the coaching staff that he has developed this off season and he's taken another step forward. I think that's something that people have to realize as well is that, look, he's not going to be the exact same guy that he was last year. He's had an off season to work on this and he's had um, from, from what we probably would imagine, he's had the entire fall camp knowing that he was going to be the starter. It wasn't leaked until the Monday after fall camp began, but we we all you know that team knew uh, they knew probably uh, the, the coaching staff knew back in February. I don't know if how much how many reps they were you know kind of dividing up after they found out in spring camp. But I think really as they got into fall camp, that was where Nate kind of took over as the starter, and he knew he was going to be that guy. And you're right. I think now with with Brandon Harris gone um, and, and Chad Surratt suspended, he knows he's going to be. Uh, the guy, so it's interesting to see just how he settles in, but I, I would go in with some confidence. You mentioned the backup quarterback position, of course. I think at this point, yeah, I wouldn't be overly concerned um that these guys are going to play. The, the game you mentioned, ECU might be their best chance to play, Um, but I, I don't know. Even there, I, I, I'm not... I, that's not going to be the easiest game. That team is not as bad as I think a lot of people think they are. Um, plus, I mean, look at the last few times that we've played them. We have never had it easy against that team, but if they do end up playing, Manny miles is probably the guy based on experience just because he's been in the system. Um, but you're right right now. It's seen as a three-way battle. And I think that red shirt rule is definitely interesting. Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, Manny's only thrown one career pass. I think a lot of people don't don't know that. They saw him come in in that game against James Madison back in 2016, but he never actually threw a pass. He only handed the ball off. Um, so his only pass was actually last year on a fake field goal. Um, so he's only thrown one career pass, but he's been in the system a little longer. Um, you know, they it's a guy that I think Larry really likes, even though, you know, I mean, people see walk on and automatically think, well, how good could the kid actually be? Uh, I mean, there's a true freshman walk on that's going to start at Minnesota this year. So walk on doesn't mean that you're not going to play. So yeah, that I, I think uh, because of experience, if they did throw a guy in there at least first against ECU, I think it would be Manny Miles. But with that new redshirt rule, I'd be interested to see if if, if let's say that game is a blowout, if they don't throw two, maybe even all three of them in there to see maybe what they've got and get them out there to get just a little bit of game experience under their belt. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, good good uh, good point there with, with them. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, turning to the running back position, you look. Michael Carter, Jordan Brown, of course, both returned from last year. Michael Carter, most rushing yards by a freshman since Giovanni Bernard, Um, but he will have the wrist injury that will keep him out at least some portion of the early season. We don't know how long exactly that's going to be. Jordan Brown, of course, last year led the team in rushing, had the most rushing attempts as well. Um, Also was a big threat out of the backfield for a while, was the leader in receiving for the entire team before Guys like Anthony Ratliff-Williams and Austin Prohl were able to get going. Austin Prohl, of course, he had to come back from the injury. So, you know, of course, not a problem of production, just a problem that he wasn't out there. So... Um, you know, I look in this backfield and, and there's some other guys that we will probably mention here as we're talking about the running backs, but when you look at those top two guys in particular, you know, what do you expect? Is it do you expect it to kind of be that same back and forth where neither one of them is gonna be seeing more carries than the other?
1: I absolutely see that. And I think it'll be even more so like that this year. You look at this Carolina team, they have seven scholarship running backs. That's that's a lot of running
0: backs. right? And
1: I think not only looking at Jordan Brown and Michael Carter, but you have two new ones come in, one a transfer and one a, a, a true freshman that add a whole different component to this running game that I'm very interested to see how North Carolina uses. You have, uh, I guess, what you can call the two Williams. You have Antonio Williams and Yvonte Williams, right. are both more of these – physical power backs that North Carolina really haven't used since Elijah Hood, but had success with. So it'll be interesting to see how North Carolina kind of uses this running back by committee approach. I think that North Carolina does like to use one or two running backs in a season, but I mean, this, this has the potential to be possibly the best offensive unit on this team. Probably second. Yeah. To the wide receivers, I think it's a battle between those two. But this running back unit can be legit. This running back unit can compete in the ACC at a high level. And I think with Jordan Brown, I think that he he will most likely see his carries decrease as carries will go out to, end, to the two Williams. Um, but I think that that will help his efficiency. I mean, he was a guy that took the majority of the carries last year. And did well. I mean, he, he had the most mm-hmm. rushing yards on the team, but when you look at him compared to Michael Carter, Michael Carter
0: was much more explosive, right. getting a little bit of those lesser carries. And I think that that fits Jordan Brown better. I think he's
1: better as a change of pace back, as a back that you can really trust to catch the ball out of the backfield, which I think mm-hmm. was his strength last year. So I think as a player, it helps his skill set to have more of these kind mm-hmm. of, power backs like Antonio Williams and Javante Williams that you're more inclined to run on first and second down and kind of get those hard yards and then you can maybe take a chance with you know a Jordan Brown on second and third down and maybe throw him you know a screen pass out there and see what he does in the open field I think that I think that UNC is kind of diversity of running back types that they have to use this year can only benefit what they do in the running game. It just depends on how they choose to distribute those carries.
0: Talent-wise, this group, I think you're right. And to me, I would lean probably them over the wide receiver group because there's just so much depth here at this position. You mentioned it's seven guys on scholarship. And I mean, as we look right now, I would say at this point, if I had to project forward, there are at least four running backs. All the guys you mentioned that are that that I could see being NFL players, and I even think at this point I, we haven't seen him yet. But Devon Lawrence, I think, is that guy also to keep an eye on because he was very talented and and a guy that was extremely productive at Wake Forest High School. Um, he he enrolls as a true freshman, didn't get into fall camp, and you know they've said he's looked pretty good as well. You mentioned you know with Michael Carter and Jordan Brown yeah Jordan Brown led the team in rushing but that's because he had 41 more carries than Michael Carter Michael Carter had 97 carries and averaged 5.8 yards per carry that's that's pretty good um uh, you know to compare it with, with the guy that everybody likes to compare him with Gio Bernard Gio was around 6.7 6.8 so he's not quite in that range but you know with just 97 carries Having 5.8 yards per carry is is very effective. Jordan Brown was just 4.4. So again, you know, not not lackluster, but again, just kind of average for Jordan Brown, whereas Michael Carter, as you mentioned, a little bit more explosive. One thing that I would like to see them do, especially because of just how much they have in that backfield, I would like to see more two running back sets. Um... You know, I I know, you know, the tight end group is is they're they're still very confident in Carl Tucker and in Jake Vargas, but with the injury to Brandon Fritz, that might give them a little bit of quote unquote an excuse, you know, um, to go two running backs at a time. And I would like to see some of those sets with Michael Carter and Jordan Brown on the field at the same time, or with you know Michael Carter and Antonio Williams, or Jordan Brown and Javante Williams. Throw these two guys out there, and you can run some of these plays where you could even run a basic, basically you know, shotgun triple option where you have the option to hand it to the back, or you can give it, you know, you can run to the outside and potentially pitch to your second back who would be with you. So. I think there could be some interesting prospects there. One other thing that could be interesting to get the ball into Jordan Brown's hands is potentially move him out to a slot receiver position on certain plays. And you could do maybe some of those wide receiver screens to try to get some blocking in front of him. Or, you know, I don't know if he's how good of a route runner he could potentially be. Maybe stick him out there and see if he can't run a route or two and get the ball in his hands as well. So um, that's going to be the thing. I think they're going to have to get kind of creative to get it into the hands of all these guys. And I mean, you know, we just, we're talking about, you know, Antonio Williams and Javante Williams as well. You know, coming into spring, one of the other guys we're talking about is Antoine Branch. No one's really talking about him that much anymore. Um, But he is a next level type physical back. He's a guy that, Um, You know, kind of reminds me a little bit of, I I guess he's kind of in between an Elijah Hood type and a Ryan Houston type, because I think Elijah Hood was that guy that if you needed to, you could run him outside the tackles, and he had some speed that a lot of people didn't realize. Ryan Houston was just a straight power back. I think Antoine Branch is kind of in between those two, and right now, they they haven't really talked about him a lot. Remember, Jonathan Sutton is still on this roster who last year was in for some of those short down carries. So, yeah, you're right. So many different guys on this team that, you know, if needed, you know, that's one of those positions where if there were going to be injuries this year, that's a position that you can you you could have an injury and not be overly concerned like the one that Michael Carter is going through right now. So you look at the wide receiver position. see, this is your position right here. You love this group, and I do too. Um, But, you know, I'll let you start because, you know, you you were saying you think this might be the best unit on the team. Why don't you tell the people why? Well, I think UNC's strength
1: over the past couple years uh, has been offense, and it's flowed through their wide receivers. I think Mm -hmm. that Larry Fedora loves wide receivers. I think he loves the playmaking potential of having – Speed in space is kind of, I guess, the term that I would like to use. Those are kind of mm-hmm. the two things that he that he focuses his offense around. And you look at these wide receivers. There's a lot of speed that can kind of move through that space. I mean, first you look at, you know, the main guy that we have coming back, Anthony Ratliff Williams, and yeah. they have talked nonstop about his progression this off season after having a, a pretty good season last year. And people, you know, around the program have talked about him growing and maturing into this wide receiver role, which is has to be exciting for Carolina fans. Um, and then you go, you see other guys as well, like uh, the two blue-chip true freshmen, De'Ami Brown and Anto- uh, Antoine Green. These guys are going to play. I mean, De'Ami right now is probably going to start in the first game versus mm-hmm. Cal, and he's a guy that came in in spring and was really impressive. He's very physically imposing. He's athletic. He's probably one of the top five top ten athletes on the team, and he's a guy that creates problems. I mean, with another outside receiver emerging in Diami Brown, now you have two guys that you have to worry about as opposing defenses. In the past, I mean, people are kind of learning more and more about Anthony Ratliff-Williams, but you're having guys that are developing and establishing themselves and saying, hey, you have to worry about me too. Antoine Green as well. He's, I mean, he's a guy that's going to play. Neither of these guys are going to redshirt, in my opinion. They're mm-hmm. going to play, maybe not starting, but they're going to get receptions in games. Uh, you look at guys um, that played last year. You have Daz Newsome and you have Bo Corrales. I mean, with Bo Corrales, you have a, a big-bodied guy that can kind of go up and get it over the top, as you saw last year. And as Daz, with Daz Newsome, you have a guy that can. You know, make a lot of plays in space. I mean, he's going to be, as Larry Shodor mentioned uh, a a couple days ago, Daz Newsom is going to be your starting punt returner. So he's a guy that they trust in space to make plays with his legs. And you look at the slot position, which has been good to UNC over the years with guys with speedy guys like Ryan Switzer and Austin Prohl that can kind of move inside and out. You
0: have Mm -hmm. essentially three slot receivers that, in my opinion, could all
1: maybe not start, but all of them probably will contribute and can contribute. You have Daz Newsom, you have Thomas Jackson coming back from injury,
0: right. and you have Rontavious Toe coming back from injury. So you have a lot of
1: configurations that you can create with these wide receivers to make mismatches for defenses, and I think that that's a scary concept. I mean, you can throw three... Um, you can throw some four wide receiver sets out there and just guys can go on their routes, the quarterback can sit back and find his guy, somebody's going to be open, and there's going to be you know big plays that come out of this. So that alongside the threat the running backs are going to make, make in my opinion, what could be a very potentially deadly offense for North Carolina. One that will, I believe will be more effective than last year's offense, and one that I think will establish itself
0: Not only for this year, but for next year as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, you. I mean, being better than last year's offense is not going to be too hard because that was clearly the worst offense that we've ever had under Larry Fedora. So, um, but I agree. I, I really do like this wide receiver unit. You know, Anthony Ratliff Williams. Again, you mentioned it. He's been mentioned tons of plenty of times by different journalists, by the coaching staff as a guy that's taken even another step forward and really has turned into not only a great receiver, a great leader on this team. You know, Coach Fedora said it tonight, and this was the thing to me, one of the main points that stuck out to me. And, you know, they, they were just talking back and forth. And Anthony Ratliff-Williams was asked by, um, I think it was by Jones, but it may have been actually by a fan, you know, about going up and getting the football. How are you able to do that? And, you know, he gave his response. And then they asked Coach Fedora about it. And Coach Fedora said, you know, you look at guys like Bug Howard and Mac Hollins. They were these taller 6'3", 6'4", receivers. Anthony Ratliff-Williams is about six 1". He just has that go up and get it type of ability that leaping ability and really the best thing about it is his hands his ability to catch the football and he compared him to Des Bryant i know that a lot of people look at Des Bryant right now in the NFL and say well his career has come kind of crashing to the earth and and it's not it's not been a good finish to his career but look Des Bryant was and maybe still is a sensational receiver and a guy that is very effective at what he does, which is going up and getting the football. And for him to get that type of comparison is amazing. That That is unbelievable, and that is great, especially coming from a guy in Coach Fedora, who you might be saying, well, how much does Coach Fedora actually know about Des Bryant? Well, before he was the head coach at Southern Miss, uh, Larry was actually the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, so he knows a pretty good amount about Des Bryant. So to make that comparison, that is humongous. Uh, you know, you mentioned the rest of the guys, especially in the slot, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a logjam right there. I don't know who's going to start there, and frankly, I don't think it matters because I think these guys are going to find ways to get onto the field. Daz Newsome I really like. I love the speed. You mentioned it, a guy that can create in space, and that's the reason why he is going to be a punt returner. And I think, man, if he gets more snaps there, he's only going to continue to build on what we saw from him last year. Um, when, you know, he had a couple of good games, but really, other than that, he he kind of just disappeared. I don't know. I think it was mainly because the coaching staff didn't use him all that much. Um, I know there was an injury that was sprinkled in there. Now that he's fully healthy, it'll be interesting to see how he can contribute out there. And he's actually a guy that, to me, if they needed him to, can move outside and play that outside receiver position because I love the way that he runs routes. I think he is is a guy that can kind of fit both places, kind of like. Austin Prohl was heading into his senior year before he got injured. You mentioned Thomas Jackson, of course, coming back. Gotta love him in the slot. Really, just a hardworking guy. Um, you know, a guy that is on scholarship now, but came in as a walk-on, and really, you know, before the injury last year, he was leading the team in touchdown receptions with two through two games. So he had one in each game, and and was really starting to emerge as one of those guys that was a red zone threat before the injury. Um, Toe Groves. I, you know, we the talent's there. It's just, can he stay healthy? This guy has played one career game, and the one career game that he played was against Duke. Um, he did have, the one time that I remember we saw him open, he did drop a pass, but at the same time, I mean, that was one drop. You know, it, it's, it's, I don't know what we're going to get from him because we just haven't seen him all that much. But from what we've heard, you know, he's a guy that could factor in the slot. And then, I mean, the two freshmen, you're right. Both of them are probably going to play significant roles. Diami Brown, from everything that I've heard, from Pat James and from Sam Doughton of the Argyle Report, right now he's the guy. He's probably going to be the number two guy um, for most of the game against Cal. He will almost for sure start the game at least. So that is huge, a true freshman that breaks in. And this is the thing. I think everybody kind of went into a panic when Jordan Brown ended up going to the Major League Baseball draft and, and, and getting drafted, look, this unit's fine. This unit really is. And, and Anton Green, as you mentioned, he's going to factor in as well. Um, the key thing, I think, for this group is they have got to find that guy that can take the top off of the defense, that guy that can open up the deep passing game because really since the injury to Mac Hollins, Back in 2016, this unit really hasn't had that guy. And I think diami Brown is, is the guy that can be that. I think Roscoe Johnson could potentially be that as well. The key is going to be finding that guy. But ultimately, I it's going to happen. They're going to find that guy. It, I mean, it, it's eventually somebody's going to come along. Maybe it's the guy that misses the first four games of the season. Maybe it's Bo Corrales. I, I mean, we, we just don't know. There's so much talent, though, like you said, and uh, yeah, I think this unit, to me, is a solid number two behind that running back unit, but it is still a fantastic unit. So um, really quickly, just looking at the tight ends, of course, Brandon Fritch out injured. Uh, Carl Tucker and Jake Vargas, of course, will be the top two guys, and then you got a battle behind them. Noah Turner and uh, Garrett Walston will go back and forth, uh, and then you've got. Jared Worley, who's a walk on, I, I not expected to factor in much, but I think right now, Carl Tuck, Tucker's the big guy for sure. And then maybe a little bit of Jake Vargas sprinkled in. How do you see that rotation going with Fritz on the shelf? And then, I mean, when he comes back, you would fully expect it to go back to being him and Tucker, correct?
1: Uh, that would be my expectation, just real quick. It's hard to say because it was primarily Brandon Fritz last year, mm-hmm. and they didn't really use tight ends that often in the passing game. I mean, they use Jake Vargas and Carl Tucker a little bit in games like Old Dominion, and they had success there, but it's really hard to know kind of what this tight end unit is going to do. I mean, Larry Fedora really outside of Eric Ebron, has not used a tight end extensively in the past few years. So it's really hard to say uh, for me. But I think that Carl Tucker and Jake Vargas both have the potential to be kind of receiving um, weapons in this offense. It just depends on what the offensive coordinator wants to do.
0: Yeah, I I saw Brandon Fritz more as that red zone threat. I I thought Carl Tucker was the better – overall tight end. I, I feel like he's a guy that can be used everywhere on the field where Fritz is that guy that in the red zone in particular, you can kind of just throw it up and he's going to go get it for you. Um, you know, I, I really like Jake Vargas He's just never really gotten an opportunity. Um, I mean, his career highlight is probably one of the better catches in the last couple of years in Carolina history, which was a deflection in the game on the road at Illinois, and he came diving in to make a catch. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, you're right. Both of these guys, I think, have a chance. Um, Nobody, look, nobody should expect another Eric Ebron-type tight end. Uh, out of any of these guys. I I just don't see that really in any of these guys. I think Eric Ebron was kind of a unique guy that kind of just landed in the hands of Coach Fedora, and he really needed a go-to receiving threat at the time, and that's kind of where he went. I I think now, you know, with the talent they've got at receiver, I don't think it's necessary for someone to be on that type of level, but I'm interested to see what Carl Tucker can do if he can stay healthy throughout the whole season because... If he does, that's the first time he's been able to stay healthy throughout the entire season. He, you know, has shown flashes, but always seems to get injured. And then, you know, once Brandon Fritz comes back, I think there's there, there'll still be that back and forth between them. But I think if Carl Tucker is able to kind of have that breakout type season, he might be the guy that the Tar Heels will stick with. So turning to the offensive line, you know, you look at the unit, and I think there was some concern coming into the spring, but I think now that we're at the end of fall camp, I think everything's pretty much ironed out. Charlie Heck's going to be the starter, right tackle protecting the blind side. William Sweet returns to protect the left side uh, at the tackle position. Then you got Nick Polino at left guard who has some significant experience. You got the talented J.J. McCargo at center, shakes off the injury from the spring and has looked good in fall camp, so he's ready to go. And then there's the right guard position. Billy Ross and William Barnes are going to battle there. Tyler Pritchett has kind of been phased out of that battle Um, in the end. I think now he's actually taking snaps to back up J.J. McCargo after Brian Anderson's suspension. So, you know, focusing on the starters first. What? who do you think ends up pulling out that, that right guard position? And at this point, you know, does it really matter, or are we probably going to see both guys?
1: I think that we're probably going to be both guys, and that's what makes it really hard to kind of pick between the two. I mean, you have a guy, a big body guy like Billy Ross, which is one of the uh, five freshmen that they redshirted last year, that, a guy that has at least one year of experience in the system and probably would play good at right guard. But then you have a guy like William Barnes, a true freshman that came in over the summer really has as little experience with the playbook as you can have as a player that's going to play this fall, but he's just a blue chip recruit. I mean, he was a top 60 guy. Mm-hmm. He's about as elite as you can get without being a, a true five star. And he just oozes potential. So it, it that's what has moved him into kind of this conversation to be a potential starter is just that he's, Probably one of the best five offensive linemen. And that's really what you want to get is your five best offensive linemen. But there is difficulty as well in getting the guys that you know fit cohesively and know the system. So I do think it'll be a battle. And I do think that you're going to see both guys play. And I think that William Barnes is going to play significantly this year. If that's in a starting role, I don't know. Uh, if not in a starting role, probably in the first guy that they bring in Either tackle or at um, guard, most likely at guard. So it's hard to say. It's not impossible that he, that you know maybe a guy like Nick Polino doesn't have the season that we're hoping that he might have, and you know you see either Billy Ross or William Barnes take that left guard spot, and they both play. It's really hard to know right now. I, I would say that because we have the two tackles in the centers very much settled on guys that we've that we as Carolina fans feel confident about, it's really those two interior spots, the two guard spots that are are kind of up in the air. So uh, in that sense, that's really the one question that this offense still has in terms of how this is going to work.
0: But it seems like something that they have
1: pieces that you can be at least optimistic about.
0: Yeah. Everything that I'm hearing from the Nick Polino side of it is that he has had a really good spring and fall So, he's that guy, and, you know, maybe, yeah, I mean, there's always that potential to struggle, but I think it's going to take a lot to get him out of that position. I mean, you look at the right guard spot, yeah, Billy Ross, as you mentioned, the, the body size is definitely there, but the thing is, is that's not where he's really holding an advantage, because William Barnes is just as big, and he's that big as a true freshman that was a late enrollee, so... Uh, you know, yeah, I I think talent-wise, we know William Barnes is going to eventually be the better guy. The thing is, is as you mentioned, how quickly has he picked up on the blocking schemes? How well does he know the offense that he's going to be in? How quickly has he been able to develop the relationships with the guys around him in that offensive line unit? But Yeah, I I mean, I think you're right. That we'll eventually see him. The good thing is, is that you know we are hearing everything that we are hearing about William Barnes is positive. That's the good thing. And you know, if anything, he's going to provide some good depth, and they're going to need that. I mean, especially early in the year. I mean, you look behind that, and that's kind of my other question on this offensive line for you. You know, you look behind the starters, and as of right now. You know, I I look, especially in the first game, it's pretty thin because of the suspensions with guys like Jonah Melton not going to be there, Jordan Tucker, who's actually played pretty well, not going to be there. So, I mean, you look at at that unit, and and Brian Anderson as well, you know, when you look behind them, is there any concern from you about the guys that are back there?
1: I think there's certainly a concern, specifically in that first game, because of the guys that you're going to have. To not have, like you mentioned, Jenna Melton's not going to be there. Jordan Tucker, which was essentially going to be your third tackle, your first tackle off the bench, is not going to be there. Brian Anderson, who is running as your backup center, is not going to be there. So you're going to have to um, kind of run through guys like Tyler Pritchett, like you mentioned. You're going to have to run through guys like Marcus McKethan, who's been um, somewhat banged up here in the fall. But then there's also – quite a few of these true freshmen uh, besides William Barnes that have made noise. I mean, Joshua Azudu, a, a true freshman offensive tackle has right. been pushing for second team reps. And yeah.
0: Oh Mason, yeah. Field kind of also there as, as a swing guy that can play at either tackle position.
1: I think you'll be okay without Jordan Tucker there. I think that you'll have guys that you can
0: comfortably play at those two tackle spots. I, I right. think, like I mentioned with the question marks
1: on the interior, with starters, I think that those become even more pronounced when you get to guard, Uh, um, because the three, well, two of the three guys that are not going to be there are interior linemen. Right. So you're really going to have to depend on guys that are either banged up or true freshmen there on the interior. If you want to play all that depth... but I don't think that they necessarily have to play all that depth uh, there at the offensive line spot. It really just is a situation where you hope that none of your starters maybe have to take a playoff or go down with an injury and just kind of an issue that you hold down until you move on to the next game.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Joshua Zudu, and that's a great point that you bring up, and I've seen the same stuff. I mean, he has been challenging for second-team reps, and a guy that... Really has just come in and picked it up very quickly, just like William Barnes has, and he has looked fantastic. So yeah, I, I think the concerns there, um, maybe a little bit because of Marcus McKeith and you know battling through a bit of an injury. But you know when I look at the guard spot, I'm I'm not overly concerned behind him. I I, I don't think if Mason Veal had to come in, it would be the worst thing ever. Uh, Mason Veal's played before, and the good thing about Mason Veal is Mason knows how to play both guard and tackle. So if you needed him for some reason to tackle, he could always kick out there. Now, the good thing is, is that the suspension to Jonah Melton is only one game. The other guys are four games, though. So um, and, and, I mean, you look at it. You mentioned two of the three. Uh, they also have a, a walk-on in Redshirt freshman Queeron Johnson. Who is also an interior lineman that will be suspended. Now, there was probably a good chance he wouldn't play. Um, but at the same time, that's a lot of guys that you're losing from that interior line. But I mean, yeah, you, you look at keep an eye on Ed Montillis as well, another true freshman that comes in. He was a guy that, you know, was kind of he he's that other guy in the package deal with William Barnes. Everybody kind of forgets about Ed Montillis, but he's got the body size as well. If he had to play In there, and you know, early in camp, he was one of those guys that was mentioned a couple of times. But you know, yeah, I think you're right. As long as nobody goes down, and that's of course, that's always going to be the hope, but you've got to be prepared for if someone does. You know, I I think this unit is there's a little concern, but it could be worse. That's kind of how I look at it at this point. So, uh, with that, we'll turn to the defensive side of the ball really quickly. Um, I mean, you look at the defensive side of the ball, starting on the defensive line, this was probably the strongest unit coming into fall camp. Now with the suspensions, I I still think it is, but it's a little bit more questionable. I think the defensive backfield will give them a little bit of a challenge as well. But I mean, when you look at the defensive line, look, Timon Fox and Malik Carney at the ends, uh, Malik Carney we we know what, what Malik Carney is. Tamon Fox is finally getting his chance to start after the inconsistent Dewan Drennan ends up moving on. So, he's going to get his shot to break out, but he will miss four games later on in the season. So, it's it's going to be kind of a weird year, I think especially for for him with how his suspension is. He's going to play um up until the Miami game, he misses the Miami game, but then is back for Virginia Tech, and then will miss three games after that, so it's going to be a little strange for him, um, as it is for Malik Carney, but Malik Carney will only play one game before his suspension begins, so I feel like down the stretch, he might have that chance to get it going. Um, and then, I mean, you look interior, Aaron Crawford, of course, whenever he returns from the knee injury will be the guy. Um, he was one that just, his draft stock exploded over the off season. And he, um, from all accounts, was looking fantastic, easily, um, according to one journalist, uh, I don't remember exactly who it was. He was easily the best player in spring camp and had been one of the best players in fall camp as well. And then, I mean, you look at the other defensive tackle position, Jason Strobridge, who put on the weight this offseason, showed flashes last year, and I thought looked great when he was on the field. One of my personal favorites last year that I think a lot of people were just kind of, you know, kind of eh on. Um, You know, you got Jalen Dalton, of course, who's going to be back. Very effective in the reps he saw last year before injury kind of, you know, took him out of a, a significant role. And then, I mean, You'll see, and we'll talk about it here in a minute with Jeremiah Clark. But when you look at this defensive line unit, you know, with the suspensions, does that affect how you feel about this unit?
1: I think that certainly makes it more difficult to discuss this unit um, quite with the optimism that we did out of spring. Um, When you look at, you know, Malik Carney and Taman Fox being out, generally with their suspensions, they're both going to play versus Cal but then they have these staggered suspensions where for
0: right. a good deal of the year, you'll only have one at a time Yeah. Um, yep. in any game. So you're going
1: to have to have some of those other defensive ends kind of step up and play. You're going to have to have guys like Alan Cater step up later in the year after his suspension. You're going to have to have guys like Tyron Hopper step up, Jake Lawler step up. Right. And then of course the biggest one for me is that you had a guy that we Kind of unclear about after last season that I I believe got a medical redshirt come back and Tyler Powell, a guy that knows the system, a guy that can play multiple positions on the
0: defensive line, can play Mm -hmm. tackle, can play defensive end. I think he
1: having him back is one of the biggest kind of
0: lips, yeah, Mm lips on this defense. Oh Um, yeah, and
1: then you go inside to the defensive tackle position with the injury to Aaron Crawford. That's a little bit of a hit. Um, but I, I do think that he's going to be back probably, I'd say, by game four versus Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then should have a very good season. And this is this is a defensive tackle group that is deep and that has shown improvement. I mean, if you look at what people are saying around the program, Jeremiah Clark showed improvement. Zach Gill showed improvement. Jason mm-hmm. Strobridge showed a lot of improvement this spring and this fall. And then with, with the Jalen Dalton situation, he was somewhat injured here in fall. But the plan right now is that they've just kind of eased him back into practice to make sure that he's healthy for this first game. So I fully expect to see him kind of ready to go 100% or at least around that in this first game. And then you have some uh, some true freshmen that have really contributed to uh, this, this uh, maybe not 2-deep or 3-deep early, but have showed that they could push for playing time. You've seen defensive ends like Chris Connell and, and uh, Lentine that pushed and shown that they have athleticism. They mm-hmm. are going to be big players, maybe mm-hmm. not this year, but are probably going to use that new redshirt rule, that are going to see some playing guy time mm-hmm. maybe in games where there's a nice cushion of points. Um, Jaleel Taylor is a guy at defensive tackle that most likely could play this year, that's going to push for time. He's a guy that, you know, teams have really liked, or not teams, but the staff has really liked this mm-hmm. year. There at the defensive tackle position. So even with the suspensions and even with the entries, this is probably the deepest position on the defense. It's the strength of the defense, uh, not only because it is by default, but it, it has to be. It has to be the position that kind of – leads this defense and sets the tone. And I I think that it's got to be the position that it looks like on paper because a lot of these guys we thought were going to have big seasons last year, and they did have good seasons, but there needs to be pressure from the defensive line this year. There needs to be disruption. There needs to be sacks, tackles for loss, fumbles, things of those lines. So I think that's the challenge is not only for – this defensive line to play well as a unit, but also to be an aggressive unit as opposed to merely a unit that doesn't allow as big plays uh, between the
0: tackles. You said it perfectly, and that's sort of been a signature thing under John Papuchis where... When he first comes in and takes over, he usually takes over units that have really struggled to get after the quarterback. And I thought last year was a step in the right direction. Um, I mean, the numbers weren't great. They weren't ones that jump off the page. But they were, uh, you know, better than the year before. And I think this year it's kind of going to be maybe a little bit of the same, where it's not going to be overly wowing. We're not going to see guys that end up, we're not going to have, you know, two guys on the team that finish with eight or nine sacks. It's just probably not going to happen. But even if you don't sack the quarterback, it's like you said, get the pressure in their face. Make these guys get into uncomfortable situations. Make them make plays because, you're not gonna face. I mean, look at the, the the group of quarterbacks you're facing. These guys are not superstars. I, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of a quarterback that's really all that great. I mean, Mackenzie Milton of of, of Central Florida will be tough for sure. Um, Josh Jackson of Virginia Tech, but it's it's not really like we're facing the Clemson's. We're not facing like we had to face last year, Lamar Jackson get the pressure on these guys and make these guys make these types of plays. And I, I, I think you're right. There's guys that are able to make those types of plays, you know, outside of Malik Carney and Timone Fox because of the suspensions. Um, and I'm going to mention a thing on Malik Carney here in a minute that I thought was pretty funny from tonight's uh, Larry Fedora live show. But I mean, you mentioned it. Tyler Powell coming back is huge. He can play either defensive tackle or defensive end. So with the Aaron Crawford injury, He'll probably move inside for right now and play a little bit of defensive tackle. But at the same time, you know, they can line him up at defensive end if they need him there, especially in that second game when Malik Corney's not out there. And he can be a key guy there as well. You know, Alan Cater, um, for sure. Alan Cater, for sure, um, is, is look, I mean, you know, we saw it last year. He had a couple of, of reps where he really jumped off the page. Um, to me, yeah, it's, it's disappointing that uh, Tyrone Hopper got suspended because I thought he looked good um, when we saw him out there. I thought he looked uh, fantastic, one of the guys that kind of stood out in what was not a good game for the entire team overall against Georgia Tech, so... Um, and and then you mentioned it. Guy I love is Chris Collins at the defensive end for uh, out of the freshman. I think he's one of those guys that's really jumped out to coaches and is a guy that can play, you know, defensive end or linebacker. So if they're need if he need they need him at e- either position, he can be effective there. So I I like that about him. That means he's athletic and I need you know a guy that has some speed off the edge, which is something we haven't really seen a whole lot of, maybe outside of Malik Carney at that position. And then, I mean, you mentioned Jake Lawler. I think he's going to kind of find himself in this defensive line this year. And then as you go inside, Jeremiah Clark, of course, I think is you know the starter. I don't think he's going to be – I don't think he's going to struggle in that role at all. Um, I love – you know, Strobridge, as I mentioned, love Strobridge. And Jalen Dalton with the injury, yeah, it's – it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to get back from that, but I think if he is able to get back to that I and mean, he's able to play at a level when he's at 100%, he he he's a guy that really can rack up, you know, tackles in the backfield for you and that will be key when it comes to stopping the run. And then yeah, Jaleel Taylor's looked great. Uh, Zach Gill, those two together I think in fall camp have really, you know, kind of taken a step forward. So keep an eye on them, uh, going into this season as well. Uh, you turn back to, um, you know, the two guys at the front of uh, Fox, you know, uh, as I mentioned, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he gets it. And then Malik Carney, um, tonight on the Larry Fedora live show actually told everybody there and coach Fedora that he wants to get 10 sacks this season. um, You know, that's that's a hefty task in what maybe nine games, um, because I I mean, let's all agree that we don't think that this team is going to be a ACC championship um, participant probably i mean yeah if they are you know who knows that could be a crazy year in the acc coaster you just don't know so at the max he would play 10 games because of the four game suspension if he reaches 10 sacks in eight games or nine games that would be unbelievable and i think we can all sign up for that so um yeah (laughs) i wanted to mention that i thought that was great i hope he can reach it uh it's going to be a little bit lofty, though. So with that, we turn to the linebacking core. You know, an area that I remember we talked about it when we went through and did our um, our spring depth chart predictions, and we thought it was a little bit of a concern. Now I'm feeling a lot better about this unit, probably about as good about this unit as I've felt in a while. With Cole Holcomb coming back, of course. Jonathan Smith now is going to take over full time in that middle linebacker role, and he should be out there just about all the time. Both him and Cole Holcomb will be out there pretty much every snap. Dominic Ross is going to be the uh, the other linebacker, the strong side linebacker. Um, you know, it's it's kind of gonna be one of those things where, you know, look, Dominic Ross will be out there, but when they go into nickel and dime packages, he's going to be the guy that's going to come off of the field. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel confident in the starters for sure. And then when you get to the backup guys, um, you know, you you reach uh, Matthew Flint, who I think is going to play uh, a little bit early on. Uh, Jeremiah Gemmel, who has had a an unbelievable fall camp. He is one of my favorite players on this team because this dude has just, he's worked so hard in this offseason. And he's a guy, I'm telling you, if he gets on the field, he's going to be hard to try to take off that field because he's a guy that can do everything. You know, he can play in the middle. He has that ability to tackle. He has that ability to be an outside linebacker if needed and go out and cover routes as well. He's, he's had a couple of interceptions um, that have been fantastic from what I've heard in fall camp. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. And then there are other guys, of course, that will factor in. My question to you is, you know, as I mentioned, when we came into spring, we were a little concerned about this unit. Has Have those concerns been eased to a point of where you know now you, you feel very comfortable with this unit going in?
1: I certainly feel more comfortable, like you mentioned, with this youth movement that we've seen. I mean, a guy that's probably being mentioned a little bit less uh, here in the fall because he's going to be suspended right. uh, for games in the fall is Malik Robinson. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that had an excellent spring, and probably later on you'll see come in and make some contributions alongside the two other guys you mentioned, true freshman Matthew Flint and then redshirt freshman Jeremiah Gimmel. So I certainly think that at linebacker, you will see a youth movement of guys that are very promising in their UNC careers. But if you look at these starters, I still think maybe there's not questions with each linebacker individually, but as has been the case with UNC, the UNC linebacking corps over the past couple seasons, the question is, can these good individual parts kind of work together mm-hmm. as a unit? Um, we, we've seen plenty of good players over the past couple of years. We've seen Shaquille Rashad, Jeff Schottler last year, uh, or the year before, rather, before his injury, Andre Smith, Quezon Collins, Cole Holcomb. So we've had good linebacking, but we've we've also seen issues with the linebacking core in the defense. I mean, there's been an issue in run defense uh, in mm-hmm. – the Larry Fedora UNC era for a good while now. There's issues with linebackers kind of covering tight ends and receivers in the middle of the field. So I certainly think that there is less of a concern, certainly from a depth perspective uh, because these young guys are stepping up. And I I think that they are – probably going to challenge for playing time here, but it's really just a question of what, what is the identity of this linebacking unit and what can they really do when they're put in these tough situations? That's kind of what I want answered by this linebacking core. And I I think from what I've heard is that the linebacking core is going to be, or at least the starters, I should say, are going to be um, more ready to accept this challenge than perhaps we thought out of spring or leaving last year. From what I've heard, uh, both Jonathan Smith and Dominic Ross have made big jumps. Mm -hmm. Um, Jonathan Smith has learned this defense more. He's learned how to be that leader in that middle linebacker spot, which you really want. And he's always a guy that I like to watch uh, just because of his uh, excellent tackling, excellent pursuit, in my opinion. I think he's a guy that can really plug up those running lanes in between the tackles and even outside in, in pursuit. And I think he can be a very good player kind of in that aspect, but you look at a guy like Dominic Ross that played um, quite a bit as a true freshman but but didn't really play as much last year. He gained some weight, and he's a guy that you've always known that has some speed, and and that's really something that I think that UNC might need this year, kind of as I said, in that short passing game with those slot receivers and with, you know, tight ends and running backs catching passes out of the backfield. So I think that there's potential for this linebacking or to be very good it's just like quarterback it's hard to know what we're getting until we see what they can do against the various offenses that they're going to be facing this year
0: you I mean perfectly put and and you are 100 percent right this unit has to be better tackling in space that's something they've really struggled with Especially as they get later and later in the season, and they start to wear down, you know, the starters have sort of, you know, shown those signs of of that, you know, wearing down, that, that inability to make the tackles that are important in space, because the defensive line at times, you know, they've done their job by forcing the plays to the outside, but there have been some missed tackles. You know, I like Jonathan Smith, like you said. This was a guy I remember when he was a true freshman that was just raved about. The coaching staff loved him. I remember watching a video of John Papuchas breaking him down um, on National Signing Day, and he was ecstatic about him. He thought the upside was fantastic. And, and that's one thing that I think we will finally get to see with him. I think he's fully healthy and he's ready to go. And he is the starter at that position. Um, and, and yeah, Cole Holcomb as well. Uh, you know, the coverage thing, I, you know, I think, yeah, that's that's always kind of been a struggle for these guys. Um, you know, I think Cole Holcomb putting on a little bit more weight, that that might be a little bit more of a concern as well. But you know, we we know that the Tar Heels like to go into these nickel and dime packages for a reason. So more than likely, they're going to try to take Cole Holcomb out of those situations as much as possible. He's really just got to be able to take away those running th- th- those running backs from being able to catch the ball. I mean, and the other thing is about it, you know, when, when you have these linebackers in coverage, this is where the defensive line has to get pressure. Because I remember there were a couple of times last year – Where Cole Holcomb was staying with these running backs, but when you get 30 or 40 yards downfield, you are not going to be able to stay with these guys as an outside linebacker. You're, You're just not built to be able to hang with these guys for that long, and that's understandable that's on the defensive line to get pressure but you know you're you're right there's a lot of talent here now it's time for these guys to prove it and show what they have and you know they're they're going to get a good chance i think against cal because they're going to have to tackle in open space and the linebackers are going to be counted on heavily Um, in both the run defense and pass defense, as I think you know, that's going to be one of those things. I mean, if you go back and one of the games where it was really extremely frustrating was against Louisville, where they were just able to attack the middle of the field, I think teams are going to try to do that once again this year. And if Jonathan Smith or Dominic Ross can step up in the middle of the field, that would take that ability of those teams to really – dissect them in the middle of the field, that that would just take that completely away, and that would definitely be helpful to this unit. So you turn to the defensive backfield then. You know, losing MJ Stewart is going to hurt a lot, because MJ Stewart was a guy that I know the interceptions weren't there, but MJ Stewart was just so fundamentally sound on defense. He Now with him gone, it's pretty much on KJ Sales. But overall, I really like this unit, especially with the starters. Uh, You know, you got KJ Sales. Miles Dorn is perfectly fine um, after coming off the injury late in spring camp. He's now uh, been a full go for pretty much the entirety of fall camp, so he's going to be ready to go. And then JK Britt at, at Strong Safety led the team in tackles the final six games of the year by a large margin after taking over for Donnie Miles. You know, Donnie Miles was sensational. I might be that guy that's going to be bold enough to say that JK Britt might be a little bit better than him because I think that J.K. Britt has a little bit better ball skills on the back end. Donnie Miles only had one career interception and really wasn't a big factor in the past game. I think J.K. Britt is a little more sound in the pass game. So it's going to be interesting to see um, if, you know, how many times people try to test him after the last couple of years having Donnie Miles at that position where you kind of said, okay, you know, he's not that guy that's great as a deep coverage safety. Now, J.K. Britt will be in that role. They might have to adjust a little bit to that. The concern, I don't know if it's necessarily concern, though, is going to be at that number two cornerback position. And then, you know, at the nickelback position, you know, when you look at it, You know, just talk about the three guys that, you know, I just mentioned and that are expected to start. And then, you know, who do you think are the guys that are going to emerge at those, at that number two corner position and then potentially at that nickel position? Well, the
1: secondary for this uh, 2018 UNC team is a position that I actually think is a little bit underrated. I think that you look at Mm -hmm. the talent that's there at cornerback and safety and you see a lot that you like, both in experienced veterans and also in youth that's kind of making itself known. I mean, you go to those veterans that you mentioned first, I mean, you have those three guys, Miles Dorn, J.K. Britt, and K.J. Sales, all three that have had, you know, a good off offseason and have really developed those skills. And I mean, uh, people are talking about Miles Dorn as a potential, you know, NFL early entrant because of the skill set that he has. People think that this safety unit is going to be very good. And, I mean, you look at K.J. Sales, I, I did see him get burnt uh, on times last year. I mean, I, I won't make burns about that. But right. I mean, he had the most pass deflections on the team. He
0: had mm-hmm. 13.
1: So he's a guy that plays high energy. As people have mentioned, he's a guy that plays at high energy, that wants to take that challenge, that wants to take chances. And as this team tries to become more aggressive, I, I think that that's going to be more of the norm than the exception. Um when you look at the youth movement that I think you see on this uh, in this secondary unit, you see a lot of guys that can play that still have quite a few years of eligibility. I mean, you have guys that played on special teams last year and could contribute at multiple um, quarterback spots, and C.J. Cotman and Trey Shaw. C.J. Cotman, right. people talk about him as potentially one of the best athletes on this team, and he's a guy that can contribute really at all three corner spots. Trey Shaw will be out for that suspension with two games but i i will imagine that you will see him contribute at either one of the outside corner spots or at nickel either first or second team uh, later in the season and then you have you know some of these other guys that came in either as two freshmen spring or in the summer that have really made a push specifically at the nickelback position you saw a lot in in spring and early fall, you saw Bryson Richardson really take over that spot after Miles Wolferk was was out with an injury. And now, kind of as Bryson Richardson has been kind of dealing with an injury, you've seen Trey Morrison really come in and be super impressive as a guy that is very new, came in as a true freshman over the summer and has really kind of shown as a very underrated as compared to his sort of high school ranking skill set mm-hmm. uh, at this nickelback position, able to, um, hold, hold his own against kind of the speedy guys in the short passing game, but also help and run support. Um, so obviously we've mentioned KJ sales kind of that first outside corner, but then you also have that open, uh, second position as well. And as of right now, that's probably held down, um, by True Junior, Patrice Rene, a guy that some Carolina fans will remember. Um, He was one of the starters uh, uh, in 2016, uh, specifically in that Georgia game, and he had Mm -hmm. some struggles in that game, but he's a guy that has, you know, found uh, kind of a niche for himself here, has bided his time, has really learned this system, has developed, um, and can really maybe have a quietly good season this year. I I think that he's a guy that, UNC's defensive unit feels like they can depend on. I feel like the UNC defense feels good about the secondary. Uh, One more guy that I wanted to mention that has really shown out kind of behind the scenes is another true freshman, Javon Terry at safety. Um, A guy that plays probably better than most people thought he would coming out of high school. A guy that can maybe even
0: play both those safety positions. Plays rangy, can, you know... come up and lay the lumber but also has you know those good boss
1: go but you like to see in safety so i i think one of the one of the things that i really like about this you know defensive back unit is that it's a unit that has that veteran presence while also having young guys that can come in and contribute early and i i think that most people will see that and perhaps look at it empty and say well there's an issue with depth from what i'm hearing it's more of you know, the optimistic class half full, it's really just that they have very good freshmen and sophomores here in the system that are going to make noise this year. So I think there's a lot to be excited about for this unit.
0: So, yeah, I you said about KJ's sales and you know how he got burned a couple of times early last season. I mean, so did Miles Dorn. They, those were some of the growing pains of being those new starters. And I thought as the season went along, both of them adjusted very well. So yeah, I, I if anybody – and I've seen these two where they are concerned about that – there should be no reason to be concerned about that. Trust me, KJ Sales will be fine as the guy that will be the number one in this group. I think when you look at the, you know, maybe the rest of the unit, I, you know, I look um you know at Patrice Renee and CJ. Cottman battling there at that number two spot. Um, like you said, I, I think Cottman probably has the better upside going forward. I think Patrice Renee, is is that safe guy, that, that guy that, you know, has been in the system for a while, knows it very well. And, you know, I, I thought when he was been there back in 2016, you know, there were, he had back-to-back pass interference penalties called against him in the Georgia game. I, I thought that those were a bit questionable at the time. I, I didn't really think that um, he did a bad job in that game, especially for being a true freshman against a team that had the upside that Georgia did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I think if he ends up starting, I think a lot of people are going to enter the game disappointed that he is starting, thinking that C.J. Cotman should be the starter. Look, Patrice Rene is not a bad player. He He's just a guy that so far has not been able to break through in what has always been a position that the Tar Heels have usually had the guys at. And even last year, I mean, that was one of those positions that stayed Relatively healthy throughout the entire year to the point of where you didn't see a whole bunch of different guys having to rotate in there. Uh, you know, you mentioned at the nickelback position with Miles Wolfolk. I'm kind of interested to see where they're going to end up putting him if he gets moved out of that nickelback position, which from what I've been reading from some of these other guys that are out there is pretty much inevitable. Trey Morrison has played that well. This guy has been. Unbelievable! A guy that kind of flew under the radar, I think, for most recruiters. And it was the, it's the same thing. There's a guy on each side of the ball. You got Javante Williams, who was a two-star coming out uh, in, uh, of high school earlier this uh, this spring, and then Trey Morrison. You know, when he signed back uh, in February, he was a guy that was just a three-star. And I believe, if I remember the class correctly, Javante Williams and Trey Morrison were probably in the bottom four rankings-wise of our recruits. And now there's a real chance both of them will have major impacts, especially Trey Morrison early in the year. Uh, Bryson Richardson is another one, as you mentioned, to keep an eye on. Had a fantastic spring. I think it's really that Trey Morrison has just kind of outshined him a little bit in, in fall camp. And, you know, that's not a bad thing because apparently Bryson Richardson has still looked pretty good. Um, Yeah, Woolfolk, uh, you know, how he ends up factoring in there will be important. Uh, One guy you always have to consider when you talk about, you know, depth or you talk about a guy that could play, especially early in the season, is Corey Bell Jr. Uh, He is always a camp standout, and I think this year has been no different from him. Um, You know, this is his senior year, so maybe he finally finds that gear that he needs to, but as of right now, I don't think he's going to factor in too much. Um, unlike some of the last few years. And then you mentioned Javon Terry. The thing about Javon Terry that I think is so great about him is you mentioned you think he can play both strong safety or free safety. You're right about that. But he can also play corner because he played corner at the high school level. I remember watching the state title game that they played in this past year um, when he played against Mallard Creek, who's one of the big-time teams, a team that's always stacked with Division I talent as well, and he played corner and was sensational. Now, I know it was snowing, but when I watched him, his ability to stay with receivers, and and, I mean, he blankets these guys. It's fantastic, and the fact that you're going to have this guy that can play pretty much anywhere in your defensive backfield is awesome. Um, I don't know how much he's going to factor in really as a true freshman because he was another guy that joined in. Uh, at the start of fall camp, he wasn't there for spring, but I like that you mentioned him because he's going to be a name that in the next couple of years, I think is going to really, really emerge and he's going to have a massive impact with this group. So, you know, I guess then we'll we'll turn to the special teams unit and that's kind of how we'll wrap it up before. Um, you know, I'll go through the five questions that I ask everybody else that I've had on, but when you look at special teams, Everybody, of course, is going to start, you know, kick returner, Anthony Ratliff-Williams, sensational, we know that, okay, that's set in stone, he's going to start there. The interesting thing, uh, you know, that everybody's going to want to talk about, um, you know, I guess, uh, well, let's talk kicker and punter, we kind of know, Freeman Jones, Hunter Lent are going to be there, both have good uh, leg strength, Uh, Hunter Lent's just got to be a little more consistent, as does Freeman Jones, um, but as of right now, I don't think either one of them really have to worry about losing their jobs. I think Hunter is an All-ACC potential uh, type guy, and then Freeman Jones is just one of those guys that you know I, I think in his senior year he's had some time, he's been there a while. I think he'll develop it and be that you know consistent enough to keep that job for the bulk of the year. But where I want to focus on is the punt returner. This is one of those positions where. You know, after Austin Prohl graduated, it kind of became wide open. You know, Prohl started the year there last year. He gets injured in the game against Duke, and that is the one game that Rontavious Togrows plays in. So he goes back there, he returns punts for the rest of the game, um, and then he ends up getting injured. Now, there wasn't an opportunity after that for him to return a punt. And, you know, after that, really the position was rendered pretty much ineffective. I mean, they did have MJ Stewart back there and he was he was OK, but not great. But it doesn't matter. He's not back with the team this year. So it pretty much came in as a complete head scratcher. Um, You know, our Octavius Toe Groves, I think, was probably the favorite in a lot of people's minds just because he had done that before. He did it uh, exclusively in high school, Um, you know, and, and then we get. Yesterday, um, the announcement that Daz Newsome is actually going to return punts. He's going to be the number one guy. Um, I don't know who else uh, who they got behind him, but it really doesn't matter because I think he's going to be he's going to be that solid number one. And you know, barring injury, I think he'll be fine there. Anthony Ratliff Williams is uh, another guy who's been mentioned there. But I mean, you when you look at the punt returner position, you know, this has been such a significant part of this team. Really, you know, for four years before last year, because of how good Ryan Switzer was, you know, w- were you kind of shocked by the news that Daz Newsom was going to be the guy? Or, you know, was it kind of like, okay, that, that makes a little bit of sense?
1: I wasn't shocked by it. I, if anything, I was excited by it, just because I'm very high on his ability at that position. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to compare him specifically to Ryan Switzer, uh, they obviously both play kind of a slot receiver position, but just to talk about Dan specifically, as you saw with some of the plays that he got to run last year on the offense, this is a guy that's going to make defenders miss in space, uh, whether that be in the passing game, whether that be on jet sweeps, and now potentially in punt return, this is a guy that's going to make guys miss. He's got great lateral quickness, he's got first, he's got speed, he's really almost the prototype of what you want in a returner. So I'm very happy to see, or rather excited to see what he can do at this position. I think that he has the exact skill set that Carolina needs um, at that position. Um, And I think that it's also a position that UNC has prioritized in the past with Ryan Switzer and with other guys. It's a position um, with the special teams unit as a whole that Larry Fedora likes to have be very good on his team. It's something that he's very much focused on being an efficient part and a way to score points, which is you know his kind of ultimate um, focus in a football in a football game. So having not only Anthony Ratliff Williams there for kick returns to potentially score points, but having um, Daz Newsom there. Obviously, it's not going to be, you know, a special teams touchdown per game, but you're probably going to see more special teams touchdowns than you would if you had another guy back there. And those will add up over the year. Uh, So I, I think that special teams and the punt and kick return units are going to have impact on some games this year.
0: Yeah, oh, I I agree with that. And usually, if if they are having impacts, that's what allows the Tar Heels to have advantages in some of these games. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a touchdown, but if you can average any you know in between eight and nine yards per return, that really gives your team an advantage when it comes to field position, which is so important, especially in close games. And that was something that last year I feel they just kind of lacked once the injury to Austin Prohl happened. You know, I, I'm like you. I'm, I'm excited to see what Daz Newsom can do. I know he returned both punts and kicks in high school, so it's not like this is brand new to him. And I, I agree. I, I like the ability, uh, you know, the shiftiness in space. I, I think he's got good vision, as we saw in the run that from, from last year uh, against Louisville, where he kind of just found a hole that, you know, may not have been there for other guys and got upfield. That's something that's encouraging to me. The other thing that I think— uh, you know, could happen if if he really does struggle that bad. I don't feel that Larry is going to shy away from going to another guy because there are so many different options that they ran there in the fall. You know, they had Anthony Ratliff Williams return some punts. They had Rontavious Groves return some punts. They even had redshirt freshman walk-on Austin Chestnut return some punts, and you might be saying, well, what in the world? Why would we have a redshirt freshman walk on returning punts? Well, he did it at Reedsville High School here in North Carolina, and I believe, if I remember the statistic correctly, he had seven career punt return touchdowns in high school. Now, there's a guy that had seven career punt returns in college that, of course, we will all remember, and that's Ryan Switzer. So, I'm not saying that Chestnut is on that level, but there are a lot of different guys that have done this before, and I don't think that if if Daz Newsome does struggle, that's necessarily the end of the world at punt returner. But – Right now, I don't see that happening. I think he's got the the, the skill set, like you said, uh, to be able to be effective back there as a returner. One of the guys that I was kind of shocked didn't get mentioned was C.J. Cotman, because I know he did that in high school, and I remember watching the film on him, and that was one of those things about him that I really loved was his return ability. So that's a little bit shocking that he's not on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at a uh, couple other guys that we'll just mention, uh, Every uh, the other two spots uh, on the special teams unit, very solid with uh, long snapper, Tommy Bancroft will handle punts, Kyle Murphy will handle kicks once again, and the holder position where Manny Miles will be the holder, and they are currently having a campaign to try to get him on the watch list for the holder award. Yes, there is an award for holding the football on field goals and extra points. I never knew that. We're rooting for you, Manny. That's all we can say. Absolutely. Guys, I want that's going to do it for the 2018 Tar Heel Preview Podcast. Remember to tune in on Saturday at 4 o'clock p.m. to your local Fox stations to watch the Heels face off against the Cow Bears. You can also listen to the game on the Tar Heel Sports Network in Charlotte. That will be on 99.3 FM or 1110 AM WBT in Chapel Hill. It will be uh, 97.9 FM or 1360 AM WCHL and in Raleigh on 106.1 WTKK. As always, subscribe to the podcast on Spreaker.com, as well as iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and and TuneIn.com or the TuneIn app. Thank you guys for listening. As always, Go Tar Heels!